nice to be here again with you and enjoy enjoy this time. I was just thinking while we were singing those those lovely words from Psalm 23, would that the um, the whole feeling and life and truth would that the spirit of what I've just sung be in my own mind and in my heart as I speak. And would it be in your minds and your hearts as you listen? That we are really, we've just been singing in such a way. Singing of such a one. Well, my great responsibility and my great delight to do it is to continue your Sunday evening series. I was given an open, sort of, shall we say, book. Christians who made mistakes in the Bible. Bible characters who got things wrong. Something like that. And I have settled on over the past uh, few days in preparation, I've settled on someone who you might be surprised made a mistake. He is known in the New Testament as John Mark, whilst he wasn't an apostle, he became the author of that part of the Bible we now call Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It's that Mark. And in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, we read that he really was a Jerusalem lad. That's where he lived with his mother. They had a nice house, big enough to have church services in, prayer meetings. There were many people in their house. And they had a serving girl called Rhoda. So we don't find his his father mentioned, but his mother and the church meeting in her house praying, it, it suggests that she was a wealthy lady. And as we look at the references to this man, Mark, John Mark, we find... He's mentioned a few times over the New Testament. So it shows that his work was spread over many years. But it has to be said when we're giving this overview of Mark's life that he was a very privileged young man. Highly privileged. He worked in Christian work as a probationary pastor with three of the greatest leaders in the New Testament. He worked with Barnabas, he worked with Paul, and he worked with Peter. You can't get better than that. The only great one missing is one of my favorites, John. But those three men, absolutely great servants of God, and Mark learned his trade personally, from these leaders. It is in his working with these men that we see the highs and the low of his Christian service. We're not told what kind of work he did. Maybe he was a very practical lad and he sorted out some food provision, meals, what have you, maybe. And he may have all sort of helped in the organization as they were on their trips, 
on their missions and their tours. But also, it's very likely that he was able to teach others, other groups, while Barnabas and Paul were teaching over here and there, there may be others wanting, and Mark was able to teach another group here. Maybe that's all, but we're not really told, but he was there as an assistant, as a helper to the, these leading apostles. He will have been developing through those contacts with those three men some of the skills needed in Christian service. But it is quite clear to even be called and selected and brought to work with those three men shows that he was a, man of, a young man with some ability. He had it up here and he had it in here to some degree. He was a man of some spiritual worth. Now in Acts chapter 13, we are told about his first phase of Christian service. He set off with Barnabas and Saul or Paul on a missionary journey. However, as John read for us in that 13th verse, they are not very far into the work when John left them to return to Jerusalem. And then the next couple of chapters, they are a marvellous account of the power of God at work with Barnabas and with Paul. In one place, the people of the area call them the gods visiting them. And they say, no, we're only men like you. No, they're the gods because of the power of God upon them. So Mark missed all that when he went to Jerusalem. Now, of course, don't misunderstand this message tonight, please. There are times in life when there is a need for a change. When family situation, circumstances, jobs, housing, children, you have to make a change, okay? We're not, we're not in any way commenting on that. That's perfectly legitimate when it has to be. But when someone has agreed to do a job with other Christians and work with them, and then pull out. That's a different matter. That's a different matter. That's what we're talking about with Mark. He set off, and you know, he got a short journey, and he pulled out. We're not told why. In chapter 15 of Acts, in verses 36 to 41, Paul says to Barnabas, after they'd finished that missionary tour, it's about three years later, he says, let's go to back and visit those places we went to on our first tour, and let's see and encourage the people there. Barnabas was all for this, and Barnabas, he was a big-hearted guy, said, let's take Mark with us. And Paul said, no, I'm not with that. And so these two great men, they disagreed over Mark. I wonder what was in Paul's mind. His mind. It wouldn't surprise me if those famous words of our dear Lord in Luke 9:62, 62, 
No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Our Lord takes desertion seriously. All right? He takes it seriously. It's not me being an old Christian man of some, you know. I'm just quoting what our dear Saviour said. No one putting their hand to the plough of the Lord's work and just opting out like Mark did is really fit, worthy for this kingdom of God work. One minute Mark was there and the next day he'd gone back to Jerusalem. And then we read of this sad disagreement between Barnabas and Paul three years later. Barnabas ended up taking Mark and going to Cyprus to work there. And Paul took another helper, a man named Silas, and he went on his next journey. And it's just interesting to note that the church, it says, commended Paul and Silas to the grace of God, suggesting that they supported Paul in his, his work. Sadly, we don't read anything of Barnabas again uh, and his work. Now, it would be understandable if that was the end of Mark. He'd walked out on the Lord's work at one place. He'd caused trouble between two leading men. It would be understandable if that was the end. No more. Finish. That's it. But we find in the Bible, it doesn't finish there. Things really changed. Things happened. And the point is this, you know, I'm quite cloyed on this matter. And those of you who've lived this Christian life some time, you will know that there have been people who started off on the Christian life and then something went wrong, they opted out and they've never been seen again. And that's very sad. Okay, that is enormously sad when someone gives up on Christ. But that didn't happen with Mark. Paul and Mark, they got together again. When Paul wrote later on to a church called the church at Colossae, in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, he said, um, I've referred to some instructions about Mark coming to you. And he says, Mark has been a comfort to me. Okay? Mark has been a comfort to me. He was one of three Jews who were supporting Paul in his ministry amongst the nations. As you will know, the Jews and the Gentiles, there was a, a real big gulf. And the Christian gospel was reaching out from Judaism 
over that gulf into the Gentile world. And God called Paul to do that. He was the leading one in it. And Mark was a Jew from Jerusalem. And that might have been one of the problems with him at the beginning. It may have been. He saw this Elymas with his, with his evil mind and I can't swallow this. I can't accept this. So he might have left. We don't know. But we find this, this young man now, a comfort to Paul. By the way, are you a comfort to other Christians? Or are you a pain in the neck? Then, near the end of the Paul's life, work from a prison cell Paul writes to Timothy get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for the ministry <laughs> isn't that lovely he's very useful another translation puts it send Mark to me for he is profitable so things have really changed, haven't they? But it does, Paul doesn't finish there. When he's writing to Philemon, about the same time he calls Mark one of his fellow workers. <laughs> hey, fellow workers. They're in this together now. Fellow, there's a fellowship. There is a, a mutual agreement and understanding and respect. So those three commendations are comfort, useful, fellow worker is a great difference from being a deserter. Amen. For those two men to get together we see there in those three references Paul welcomed and wanted Mark. Okay. Paul didn't have to have his arm twisted up his back and say, hey, come on. No, Paul welcomed and wanted Mark to be with him. And Mark, he was willing to go back to Paul. He was willing to re-engage and pick up and go forward in the work. But you know, it's not only with with Paul, that we find Mark commended. In Peter's epistle, chapter 1, 5, 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 13, Peter sends Mark's greetings and calls Mark, my son. Now, for a man to call another young man, my son, it has got to be one of the highest, warmest, richest expressions, hasn't it? My son. It may have been that Peter was instrumental in bringing Mark to conversion. We don't know. It may be. But, however, whatever, he has this great bond. For fathers and sons have bonds, don't they? Are they sure? That's what it's all about, being a father and a son. If you're a father, you have a bond with your son. If you're a son... 
And I speak as an old father now, but I was once a young son. And I was, there was a foolish time in my life when I was so taken up with my things that I never connected with my father. And he died when he was 53. And one of my regrets in my life is I was a silly young man. So me as a father, I must make bonds with my son. And sons, make bonds with your fathers. Healthy, wholesome, good bonds. Peter appreciated Mark. How did Mark come to write the gospel? Well, some of the early scholars, they're called the fathers, Irenaeus and names like that. They tell us that Peter was at Rome teaching the church and telling them about the life of Jesus. And Mark wrote down what he remembered and what he could. All of Peter's teaching and explanation of the life of Jesus. So much so that some people call the Gospel of Mark the Gospel of Peter. <laughs> okay. So Mark was with Peter in Rome writing down the Gospel. Now I just want to bring one or two interesting practical lessons that come from Mark as a character with all his advantages Mark's mistake deserting the work and Mark's recovery going back I want to bring out some lessons for you and for me today and the first thing I want to say about Mark it's a side of the Christian life which I fear is much neglected in today's society. I'm talking about the need for, you're waiting for this word, loyalty. Okay? Loyalty. Being loyal. It's so easy to start something up and after a while just give it up when you're working with someone. People say, oh, it's a bit of a nuisance. He started with me on that or she started doing that and then just gave it up and did something else. And they say, oh, just treat it as a bit of a nuisance. I so, well, that's the way life is. <laughs> You've just got to live with it. That's just life today. It is life today. But Christians don't live the life today. We're not of this world. We've got a new nature. We've got a new life. And we are those who are to be loyal. Remember the words of Jesus. No one puts his hand to the plough no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Be loyal. Be loyal in what you're doing. There are standards in if you're going to serve God. Why does our Lord say such a big thing as that? One simple reason. The kingdom of God is the most important work in the world. Alright? Have you got that? The kingdom of God 
is the most important work in the, in the world. It's God's work, his spirit is the power, and his son is the king. So it's the most important work in the world. When Mark was at Antioch, we read in chapter 13, there was a very moving scene in the church. You can see it. The church is praying and working about, praying about sending workers out. They're really earnest. And somehow the prophets are told by God, choose Barnabas and Saul. And, so, and Mark is there. He sees this happening. He hears it going on. These two men were selected by God to lead this new work. Go out amongst the Gentiles. This was groundbreaking. Really new business. And Mark was there. He heard this. God's Spirit told this church at Antioch to send these two men. And John Mark was their assistant. Wow! And in a few days' time, he walked out on them. Wow! Wow! To do such a thing after such an introduction on such a work. John left them and returned to Jerusalem after a short while. You might have seen recently on the news that I think he's an Italian captain sailing his cruiser liner and the ship gets into serious difficulties. It starts to sink. The outcome is 30 people drown and the captain leaves the ship before all the passengers are safe. Have you seen it on the news? He is facing murder charges for that. He left the ship. He left his ship too early. What would you think of a medic? Imagine you're a mother of a child and your child is taken to hospital to have an operation and they take the little one into the operating theatre and along comes the surgeon, male or female, here, there or everywhere, whoever it may be. It's only a story, it didn't happen. But imagine what happens if this surgeon comes in, sort of the, the child is anaesthetised, and then, oh, I don't think I'll do that. I'm going. <laughs> imagine that. It's unthinkable, isn't it? I'm using both of those, the captain of the ship, the, the, the hypothetical story of a surgeon, to illustrate how big it is to serve God. You're not in a National Health Service hospital. You're not on a cruise liner. We're serving God. Big stuff. Big, big, big stuff. And to be unfaithful to Jesus... Is serious failure. I know that D David's sin in the murder of Uriah and his adultery with Uriah's wife, that was terrible. And Peter, 
swore he didn't know Christ. They are obvious sins. They were real bad mistakes. We can read some of those terrible things. But you know, we can gloss over Mark's mistake and just say, that's the way it is. But it is serious. And let's learn that lesson from this. Paul's response. Let's endure to the end. Endure to the end. Stick it through. In our society today, is there loyalty in marriage? Is it the big thing to be loyal in marriage? Is it the big thing to have a loyal family life where there is oneness, support? Is it the big thing to have loyalty in communities? Is it the big thing to be employed by an employer and the, and the boss to be loyal to you and the, the employee to be loyal to the boss? No. Loyalty is virtually gone. Christian, we need to see that loyalty to the Lord and his work, actually sticking by those who are doing God's work, is vital for your own spiritual life and for your own good. I think we've got to learn something from another Gentile believer of many, many years ago. A young woman named Ruth. Remember Ruth? When she was confessing her faith, what did she say? Your people will be my people. Your God, my God, don't tell me to leave you. <laughs> don't tell me to leave you. Loyalty. There's so much value in belonging to God's people. Be together. Stick together. Support each other together. The second little point I need to emphasize in Paul and in Mark, although we're not told how they got together, but this will have happened, you can be sure, there will have been a measure of humility. There had to be a willingness in both men to put things right. Mark had to realize why Paul had been so upset. And Mark had to say, I hold my hand up. Paul, you were right. I was wrong. And Paul had to be willing to accept Mark back into his group of workers later on. It wasn't a case of, you let me down then, you're not coming in now. <laughs> no turning, no coming back here, pal, on your bike. That wasn't in the spirit of Christian service. Where there is a refusal to deal with mistakes by both parties, where there is no generosity, where there is no big-heartedness, where there is no genuine repentance and sorrow, there will be long-standing separation. 
We don't want that in our churches. We want people to grow together. But then there's another lovely thought about Mark. And it's this. He was very adaptable. He was adaptable. In his work, having come through his mistake, he proved a real asset with people and in different places. Mark could be counted to work in various tax cities and doing different tasks. Mark didn't say, it's me as I am, <laughs> you know what I mean, and you take me as I am, and that's all there is to it. I've done this, I'm not going to do anything else. And that's it. That sort of spirit wasn't. He could help Barnabas. He could help Paul. He could help Peter. He coped with service in Jerusalem. He coped with service in Cyprus. He helped Paul in prison and in Rome. He was adaptable. Let's learn to be adaptable in the Lord's work to people and to places. But then also, I must say, he was a man who had a forward-looking approach. He did make a serious mistake. But that was sorted out within himself. And things were put right with Paul, who came to value him. But the point is, he didn't develop a chip on his shoulder. You, well, I don't say you, but I have met a number of people in my life over the years who've had a problem within a church with someone here or there. And they've never forgotten it. Never. You know, what they did, or what they didn't do, when was that? Oh, well, 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 it was about 20 years ago. Okay? That is wrong. No place for that in the kingdom of God. No. He didn't moan and grumble about that old hard-hearted Paul. He embraced him and served him and ministered to him and comforted him. Hey, comforted him. But the precious lesson which I close with is this. It's quite simple. Nothing new. There's a way back when we've made a mistake. <laughs> if, if anything comes through to you and to me tonight, today, this afternoon, this morning, whenever it is, 
it's half past four in the afternoon. It's all adjusting, isn't it? It's all adapting, isn't it? When, whenever we've made a mistake, we can get back to God. That must not be forgotten. And that cannot be exaggerated. It cannot be exaggerated. We used to sing a chorus. There's a way back to God. The older ones are nodding their heads and smiling. There's a way back to God. From the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open. And you may go in. Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Jesus spoke of a man who ran away from his father and that man got back to his father by saying, Father, I have sinned. I wonder if there's someone here today and you've never said that to God. You've never in your deepest heart become a, king, a Christian. You've never said, I've run away from God. I might have drifted now a little bit nearer, but I've never actually said in my soul, in my innermost being, oh God, I have sinned. Is there forgiveness? Can God forgive those who've put him in the, on the back burner and left him out of their lives for 10, 15, 20, 30 or more years? Can God forgive such who are just drifting through a religious life and not real Christians? Can God forgive that? Who've never taken God seriously? possibly forgive someone who doesn't take him seriously at Calvary's cross is where you begin believing that it was for that kind of stuff that neglected God and took him for granted that Jesus died for that believing in him the gospel is all about God's power of recovery. Isn't it? And in Mark's Christian life, we also see the power of recovery. Isn't that a lovely word? Recovery. You ring up the hospital. How's my little one doing? Oh, she's recovering fine. She's been through the operation. We've done that recently. And we heard from our son and daughter-in-law. Oh, she's doing fine. Hey, what a word, recovery. And what a word when your soul is recovered. Hey, not only your bodily, not only your physical or your mental, but your whole soul and life is recovered. And you're on the right lines again. The place of recovery 
picking up the pieces we've broken. Going to those we've let down, putting it right. Coming to terms with this. After all, as a Christian, I'm under my Lord and Saviour. What he says goes. Not what I want. Not what I feel like doing. He is Lord. He's my Saviour. And then recovering fellowship with people and spend the rest of life doing what? The right things. Being useful. Helping and serving the Lord. What was it? Being a comfort. Being profitable. What were they? Do you remember the four things? Being a fellow worker. And how Mark carried on back in business, in the Lord's business, after that. A disappointment, therefore, can be turned around. And you know, I'm now turned 21. I was an enthusiastic young man, as a Christian. Yep, whoa. I was enthusiastic for a time really enthusiastic I'm not boasting, I'm just giving a history because I want to tell you sometime after that, I made a mess okay I made a mess all the promise that was there didn't develop I'm not saying I was into drugs and all of that I was never into that sort of stuff. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't rob a bank. But when it comes to actually being a useful Christian, I was dead meat. Useless. Having so much promise as a young man in my late teens and early 20s, doing this, doing that, speaking here, all these things, going on beach missions, all of that. And then there came a time where I went into nothing, nothing, nothing. And God, God in his amazing grace touched Al Howell again. Not that I've been a great servant. No, no, you know what I'm saying. I'm saying the Lord restored my soul. That's why I like singing that hymn. He restores my soul. And I think there are a few other Christians here today and they'd say, hey, Val, <laughs> I'll shake your hand. I've been there. I've done it. I know what it is to be restored after being a backslider or something like that. So, as we look at Mark's life, he started off well, made a mistake, sorted it out and then was commended for the work and then he went on to be a very useful, practical long-standing Christian worker let us all aim to do the same
There we are, Ian. Thank you. Thank you, Mal. <laughs> Finish that wonderful sermon. With